Today's reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. It can be found on page 922 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as up on the screen. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him. A voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Mark said this is the first Sunday of Lent, and I'm kind of glad you did that little overview of it. We were at dinner with some friends last night, and my wife said, oh, we've got to get home early tonight because Keith's speaking tomorrow. Well, what are you speaking on? And I said, well, talking a little about Lent, a little bit about this. And they said, well, what is Lent? And I was kind of surprised because they're, you know, they were both raised in the church, and they had no idea what, what Lent was. So I kind of gave them a quick overview. And I'm not going to go into detail on Lent right now, but the three themes are that of prayer and fasting. And it's interesting. The other one is almsgiving. So there's also one of, an, of engagement. But the way I see it is more a little bit like this. Uh, growing up when I was about seven or eight, we didn't always get to play video games. Our TV time was limited. Listen up, kids. So we got to go outside and be bored and do nothing and make up stuff, right? And so one of the games we made up, which we thought was pretty clever, was we would wait till a car came by, and we'd take like a, a rubber ball, and we'd roll it in front of the, the car. And then the car would go, Aah! and look around, and then leave, and we'd be like, we thought it was the best thing ever. So we played this game every so often when we were bored. And one day when it was my turn, I saw this VW bug coming down the street. So we got back and we hid and I rolled in front of the car and and this time this guy gets out of the car and we're like, uh-oh. And I started like heading home and he jumps out and he grabs me and he picks me up and he's like, don't ever do that again. Someone could get hurt. And I was like, ah. And he jumped in his car and left. And I was like, and I, I literally, I wet my pants. <laughs> so needless to say, we never played that game ever again. <laughs> now, Lens isn't that extreme. However, like I was telling my buddy last night, I'm like, Lent is kind of like where you get shaken a little bit, right? It's like you get, you get woken up. We play these games in life. We get in these roots rhythms, routines. Some are better than others. Some of them are just games we play. And we need to get shaken. We need to get stirred up. We need to, 
to break some of these bad habits that we've been just constantly zoning in on. And so this is the way at least I see Lent. It's probably not a theological stance we can take or anything. But this kind of paves the way for what we're going to talk about today, which is more in the line of prayer and meditation. So I thought we'd start the, serve, or the message with a time of meditation, which is a little bit different because um, I'm actually asking you to participate in this. And some of you, this might not be comfortable. Some of you are like, yes, awesome. And, and just a quick primer on this is it's just a simple way to center yourself, to listen, to be all here, to be present right now. I find sometimes I'm so anxious about the future or stressed out about the past. I just want this time to get by so I can go plan my next thing, right? And so by centering yourself, by, by listening, by tuning in, you might just hear God's voice. So get comfortable. It's going to be quick, probably faster than, than uh, we probably need more time than this moment. But you can open your eyes. You can close your eyes. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I just like to put my, my hands on my, my knees if I'm sitting down. And classically, meditation starts with the breath. Just by focusing, trying to catch your breath. Like my heart is racing right now. I want to try to calm my breath and just be here now. And just listen. And as you calm your breath, even before the service, we were praying that the Spirit would fill us, that we'd breathe the Spirit in and exhale the, the junk and the garbage. So as we breathe in, we say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Hear these words that were spoken over Jesus and try to receive them. As Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, the voice from heaven said, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Receive these words as they were spoken directly to you. You are my daughter. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm pleased. God is on your side. He's for you. He's cheering you on. You are my son, and you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I'm pleased. You are my daughter. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm pleased. Amen. You can open your eyes. I wanted to just set a little bit of a tone for something that you could engage in, perhaps the rest of Lent, 
There are many spiritual practices and ways we can enter in. This is a simple one because anybody and everybody can do it. And the thing I know is this is not just for adults. This is for kids. This isn't for people that know more than others. It's for ordinary people. And the reality is everybody, whether you believe in Jesus or not, there is a longing universal for something greater, something beyond ourselves, something transcendent. As a Christian, we long and desire to meet God face to face. We want an encounter with the living God. This is our deepest desire. And sometimes it falls on us while we're driving. But most of the time, there's a little bit of effort, a little bit of step we have to take to get into that zone, into the presence of God. And so our scripture begins in Lent. This is a classic Lenten scripture of the first Sunday, where Jesus is baptized in the waters of the Jordan by John the Baptist. He humbles himself and goes down in the water. It's an immersive experience. And the voice says, you are my son. Whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You know it by heart by now. Utilize this, if you will, the rest of Lent. It's, it's yours for the taking. And it says, um, just as he came out of the, well, let me back up. These words, sometimes I think, well, Jesus was perfect. He didn't really need this. This is for us, right? However, I do think this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He needed these words of affirmation of assurance, of, uh, of uh, sending out. So as the voice came, came down, the spirit comes down, there was the trinity at work that we're seeing. Um, Jesus was empowered then to move into uh, his, his outward public ministry. Now, baptism for us is all about identity. And I think it's the same is true for Jesus. The idea of baptism is we're identifying with Christ and his death and his resurrection. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I did have the privilege of baptizing people, and we'd go down to the river, and this isn't a better way or, or anything, but we would walk into the water, freezing cold, and the ceremonial words were, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, buried with him in his death, risen to newness of life. So the idea is, the old is gone, the new has come. You are now take, making a public statement that you identify with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been baptized, by the way, side note, I highly recommend it. This is a, a, an outward thing of something that you've been grappling with inwardly. And you're saying, I want to take a stand with the community that this is where I'm going. This is who I am. In other countries, as a matter of fact, sometimes they even change their names upon baptism. They say, I want to take on a new name. I'm no longer, at least in India where I got to visit, they say, I'm no longer what others call me. I'm no longer what 
that culture deems me as. This is my new name. And they choose a name of affirmation and then just a regular old, they call it Christian name. Fred, you know. <laughs> I no longer scoop trash and garbage. I no longer clean latrines. I'm a, I'm a child of God, something like that. And it's a powerful thing. We now identify with Christ. And so Jesus gets this word from the Father, he, this affirmative message, you are my son. And us, on our side, we're adopted as children of God. And he gives us this assurance, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I'm pleased. And this is what sends us out. It's interesting, though. There's this principle at work, I find, in my life at least, and I think it's universal. Whenever you take a stand, whenever you have a baptism moment, whenever you have a mountaintop experience, there's usually like this trial or a test or something that follows. It's kind of like you got the education. Now you got to take the test to see if it really worked out. Shar and I decided uh, we were going to stop eating sugar for January. Talk about trials and temptations and tests, you know? That's like the dumbest thing we could, well, you know, it's like the next day, hey, we're having a birthday party. And they're handing out this delicious cake from like Freeport Bakery. And we're like, we were those people. No, 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 we're going to pass. Why, why not have some cake? Oh, no, 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 no. Why? Oh, we're not eating sugar. Oh, you know, making everyone feel uncomfortable. And the next weekend was our anniversary. Of course, here's our dessert menu. Ah, no, we're not eating sugar. You know, one, uh, one year I decided I want to try to be more generous. I want to I be very decisive and intentional about giving. Literally, I remember that month was a month that the car needed new tires. We got braces put on one of the kids. There was, it was the most expensive month of my life, I felt. And I'm thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't be so generous after all. You know what I mean? Like, it was a test right in front of me. For Lent, I decided I'm going to try to pray and meditate. So I set my, uh, my uh, alarm for 6 a.m., a little earlier than normal. Woke up at 7.15 the next one. <laughs> I was like, what? Later that day, I had the worst day. It was so, I was like running around all flustered. Literally, my alarm went off. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Oh, 6 p.m. Awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you, in this case, Jesus comes out of the water, and he was immediately sent into the desert or driven into the desert, compelled. So the desert is kind of this, and it says he was tried and tested by the, the adversary, by Satan. It's interesting to note, the children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, right? And they were uh, liberated by Moses and, and God, really. And then they had the Red Sea. It was like their first test, right? They get through that. Then they get into the wilderness. And then they just start, uh, it'd be better to be in slavery, remember? Uh, we're not sure this is going to work out. The manna, the, uh, they collected too much. You know, they, they were constantly tried and tested. And it says they wandered for 40 years. So this is kind of akin to the 40 days in the desert or in the wilderness. And finally, this one generation dies off, and Joshua and Caleb were the ones to lead them into the promised land, right? Canaan's land. But they had one more test, the Jordan River. I don't know if this is true or not, but some people say that where Jesus was baptized, have you heard this? is the same place where they crossed into 
I don't know if that's true or not. It's, it's a good story. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. To get to the promised land, God said, okay, pick up some large rocks, right? The elders had to take up these big rocks. The other people were holding the Ark of the Covenant, right? God's presence. Flood stage, I think. They had to walk into the water. We don't know what's going to happen. You got to trust me. And then the water subsided, dry ground. And then they piled these rocks up. And uh, they, why do we do this? The scripture says, so that there's this monument, this rock pile, for future generations to look at to say, this is where God performed a miracle. This is where something significant happened. It's this baptism moment, this time where we trusted God, this mountaintop experience with a trial or a temptation or a test in between. The interesting thing about Jesus was he chose to do it or he was compelled to do it. It was like a necessary thing. Other gospel writers go into detail about how he dealt with the temptation. But Mark just says he was in the desert for 40 days. There was Satan. There was wild beasts. And there were angels there. That's about it. That's all we kind of get from the desert experience. So I, I think that, is it an invitation or is it a compulsion? I don't know. My prayer for us is that we would be compelled like Jesus to be driven. That it's something that it's not just like, meh, do you want to go to the ice cream social or do you want to go to the desert? I take the ice cream. You know what I'm saying? It's like somehow we are so, we, we're so hungry and thirsty. And the irony is it's a dry place. It's a barren place. It's a place without much life. So let me describe the desert a little bit more. Because it could be like going to Mojave or to Nevada or, you know, Burning Man or something like that. Which, by the way, people are looking for something transcendent something ecstatic, something psychedelic in a way. People are longing for something beyond themselves. The wilderness, these are good places to go. Desolation wilderness. Have you been backpacking out there? Highly recommend it. These are places you can go. However, the desert might be a more personal desert. It might be something more inward. The desert is a quiet place. It's a, it's a solitary place. Like Jesus said, when you pray, find a closet. Is it because the closet is better than the couch? No, it's because it's a quiet place. It's a alone. You can be alone. You can actually hear something. The desert is a place of silence, of contemplation, of meditation. Someone described the desert as being unbooked. What I mean by that is, we get into these routines in life where we're just constantly going from one appointment to the next. I got to go to the dentist. I got to take my car in. I got to go to this. I got to meet with this. And if I'm free, I'm going to call someone and say, hey, you want to go get a beer? Let's do this. Oh, you know, it's like I'm constantly going through life. And no wonder I never hear what God has to say because I'm just, da, 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 I'm a, you know. And so uh, the desert's been described as a place of deprivation. We hate this. This is like an, in our culture, this is evil, right? Don't deprive yourself of anything. Get all you can. But it's, it's about holding back. So if my routine is to get up and eat and go to work and go to happy hour and be time with the family and watch Netflix for three hours, you might think about pulling back and, and un detaching. You see, Eastern meditation is about 
getting rid of attachments, becoming detached. Christian meditation says, get rid of attachments so you can become attached to the one that made you, the one that your soul longs for. Eastern meditation is about emptying yourself into nothingness. Similar to Christian meditation, except we want to be filled, emptied so that we can be filled. And so we need to find a place where that happens, actually. And the desert, ironically, I keep saying that because it's a dry place, but it's a place where the soul thrives. It's a place where we actually can hear and not be bothered and, and distracted. And the wild beasts might be just the demons that come out inside of you when you start facing your inward self. And these are things we need to grapple with and, and, and deal with as we're in the desert. So it's a place of silence, of solitude, of being unbooked, creating space. By the way, a side note, I brought a bunch of books just off the shelf. One that um, my wife and I love, I think you brought this into the, our marriage. It's called Space for God. And this is kind of what the desert represents, creating space for God. Feel free to take a look at any of these books. Take them home with you. You just got to let me know. But maybe you want to engage in a book uh, for Lent as, as a practice. Deprivation, inward journey. Uh, someone put it this way. The desert is also a place where we hear the voice that is usually lost in the din of pleasure and meaningless talk. We can enter into a private desert, even in the midst of the world, and face our own demons. If we're brave, we can run through the desert and find the real God amid many gods, like little case G. You know, these are all the things that, that we're attached to. These are the things that we worship, the, the things that just grab our attention that we can't seem to shake. I'm not saying that we need to be shaken until we wet our pants. But we need to be shaken. We need to let some of these things go. We need to break through these routines, these habits that, um, that just got us, you know, like stiffened up. And this is what the desert do. Some of you might be thinking, do I really need to go into the desert? You know, <laughs> or why go in the desert? Doesn't sound very fun. We are a church that talks a lot about grace. And I was just telling Mark, this has been a, a meaningful thing to me because it's, it's a freeing thing. But there's also a sense of grace that might be kind of cheap or cheapened. It's the grace that says, Jesus did it all, so I don't have to do anything, right? <laughs> and you kind of, if you take on that attitude, you end up like a little baby that continues just like, give me, give me, feed me, feed me and you never really grow up. The desert is a place where you begin to mature. A friend of mine was telling me about his son just got his driver's license, and he's got the freedom now to just get around, you know. <laughs> he's 16 and a half or whatever, and uh, he came home one day and he said, Dad, I got a ticket. I'm so mad, I can't believe it. I ran, you know, I, I rolled through a stop sign. I can't believe it. And he said, here you go, Dad. And Dad's like, what? No. It's your ticket. You did it. Are you kidding me? You're an adult now. Welcome to, welcome to life, you know. You got the freedom. You got the license. And I think that's the kind of grace where we're like, 
yes, in so many ways, God takes on and takes away. And it's better than you can ever imagine. But there's other times where we, we want to just remain immature. And we don't want to, we want to even make any effort. It's been described, uh, the desert is like a spiritual discipline. And there are many practices. And it's a pathway. On one side is this cheap grace, which you could just call laziness. I don't want to really do anything. I want it to fall on me. This, it doesn't work out. This side is when you work too hard. When you, um, it's like the Pharisees. I got all these rules and laws I got to keep, and I got to make sure everyone else is keeping them too. We might call that legalism. So the path is narrow. You might fall into legalist. Uh, let me show you all the great things I'm doing. I'm going to pray in public. Or I'm just kind of lazy. You've got to stay on that middle path. The desert is necessary. I would, I would contend for, for maturity, for growth. This is the place where transformation happens. Again, spiritual practices, and I'm just talking about prayer and meditation, are the things that lead us into the presence of God, the place where real change happens. And we think that it, it will just fall on us. But I think there's like a preparation that needs to happen. And this is where we decisively say, what am I going to do? Whether it's set my alarm for the a.m., not the p.m., or <laughs> you know, I'm specifically going to realize that there are, there are going to be roadblocks and temptations and trials when I start making decisions to, to follow closer. Um, I find that a lot of people who grew up in the church or have tried religion are disappointed or maybe even um, disenfranchised by the church. Like, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I think that in some ways it's back to this maturity thing. Like, I want someone to serve me. I want you to pay my ticket. I don't want to do anything. It's almost like I've never grown up. And so this, I think, is the road to growth and to maturity. Uh, there's a book that I've been reading also in, in, um, during Lent. It's called The Other Side of Silence, A Guide to Christian Meditation. He says, most of the world would rather stay put than seek such an experience of growth. This process of allowing new life to open up is like death and resurrection for human beings. One gives up life to find a new way, like the seed that gives itself to nourish a living, growing plant. While the seed seems to have no choice, the person must choose to experience dying in order to live. And this is painful. Few of us will knowingly expose ourselves to such an experience unless we are convinced that it leads to growth too valuable to avoid. Few of us will knowingly expose ourselves to such an experience unless we're convinced that it leads to growth too valuable to avoid. This is what I've been praying for you all, that we would come to a place where we're so thirsty and hungry that we want this. Call it a hypothesis. I'm saying you got to check it out. you got to test this hypothesis. See if it's true for yourself. I'm not very good at convincing, but I do know that I desperately long for more encounters with the living God. And I'd say it's available to you now. And it's available to the ordinary person, <laughs> not just educated people who read a bunch of books. 
it's probably even better that you don't read the books, you know? <laughs> I'd also say without intimacy, without closeness, relationships die and people give up. Without this renewal, relationships die and people give up. That's true for friendships, with family members, with marriages. Without that connection, it shrivels up and dies. God's presence is what changes us and sets us free. Our actions merely position ourselves. And like I said, meditation is just one of many practices that puts you on that path to what I call being responsible or able to respond. There's a story about a uh, traveler who <clears throat> came to this cliff. He, it's too wide to get around. He could barely see the other side. And he noticed that there was a tightrope going across. And way on the other side, he saw this acrobat coming across the tightrope. <laughs> and he was actually pushing a wheelbarrow with another performer in it. And he's coming across this tightrope. And he finally makes it to the other side and the traveler's like, this is amazing. And the acrobat says, do you think I could do it again? And the guy's like, yeah, I think you can. He's like, really? Do you think, do you really, do you think I can do it again? The guy's like, yeah, I think so. And he's like, hop on in. You've heard this before. <laughs> you see, no amount of thinking or rationalizing or thinking of you think about what you believe or what you think you believe is going to replace the experience of actually doing it. And, and there's a matter of trust that's action-oriented where you need to get in and trust, I'd say, God in this sense to get you to the other side. The desert is just one of the vehicles to get us there. So I'd encourage you to question, and maybe this is, this is your Lenten practice. What do I believe about all this stuff? It might be a wrestling match with your doubts. I've been asking a lot of questions lately. What do I believe about this stuff? You might take on a practice. So it's not so much talking. It's here I am. You tell me. I'm listening. I'd encourage you to, to take on a practice. That could just be exploring through reading. You might try fasting. There's, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to leave you with this prayer, it's kind of a breath prayer we call it, kind of like what we did earlier. A mentor of mine gave it to me and I've been trying to ruminate on this for the last 20 years or so. It goes like this, light as a feather, fluid as water, innocent as a child, able to respond to the movements of the spirit like a floating balloon. My prayer for you is that you would be light as a feather, fluid as water, innocent as a child, 
able to respond to the movements of the Holy Spirit like a floating balloon.